Hello and welcome to New Song Online today. My name is Melody and I'm so happy that you are here today. Welcome. Um, can you believe we are in May already? Wasn't it just Christmas? I mean, May. Uh, I don't know about you, but things for me have gone by in such a flurry these last few months. It has been insane. But um, how are you? How, how are you doing? Um, can you believe it's May this morning? Uh, make sure you say hello in the chat and um, make sure to comment and just if anything pops in your uh, mind as something is said, please go ahead and do that. I love, you guys make me laugh so much sometimes. Uh, I love hearing the comments and I love, or reading the comments rather, and um, just seeing what you have to say. It really um, is nice to know who's watching and who's um, in the chat on uh, Sunday morning in the chat box. So make sure you do that. Today uh, we are coming to you from my office at church here where I always have a cup of hot tea or coffee or espresso ready for when you come. Um, you can connect with me. You can actually connect with any of the pastors. Um, you can connect with Josh. You can connect with Grant, um, especially, you know, if you have a need, if we can pray for you somehow, or if you just want to you know, say hello, please connect with us. Fill out that connect card. Um, let us know how we can be in prayer for you, especially if you're new. If you're new um, and just checking us out today, we'd love to know, again, how we can just interact with you, how we can be in prayer for you. Um, we'd love to know that. So go ahead and fill that out. Um, I'm excited to see some of you here today. Uh, today at 11 a.m. we have our in-person gathering on the lawn, and that is just a great way to see people and be together and sing songs and have communion. It starts at 11 a.m. today, and at 11 a.m. you can start showing up, grab your spot on the lawn, uh, just grab a snack, uh, chit chat with people. And a few minutes after that, we make our way to our gathering um, again, where we just enjoy a time of just celebration together. So if you're able and ready to do that, uh, we will be here at 11 a.m. just waiting for you. So um, come on down. Um, before we get started, I also want to let you know uh, what is happening next week for Mother's Day. For Mother's Day, we want to celebrate mothers of all ages, all stages, all ranges. Um, so in that 30 minutes that we have before the service, come on down. We're going to have some special um, muffins for you and a beautiful place for you to sit down and a photo booth for you to take pictures. Uh, we just want to celebrate you. So for those 30 minutes um, before the gathering starts on the lawn, we want to celebrate moms. So come on down, moms. Um, so let's pray together before we get uh, started with the Word of God this morning, if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for um, this way that we get to be together, that we get to um, look at your Word and um, just think about, God, what the, these situations were and what was happening and, and what does that mean to us in this day and age, God? God, I pray that as we uh, look through uh, your word, your living, breathing word, God, that we would just be um, just open to hear what you would have to tell us today. And um, God, would you bless this time we have together in Jesus name. Amen. 
So today's story in Mark focuses on two different situations, and they have one thing in common, and the one thing in common they have is Jesus. Uh, Before we get into this story, you may or may not have heard this story before, but what I'm going to ask you to do today is I'm going to um, ask you to imagine yourself in these stories. I want you to imagine yourself as being there. I want you to imagine yourself as, you know, someone someone who's who's completely in it. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, oftentimes when I read these stories, I often forget that these were real, living, breathing human beings that walked this earth, that, you know, these folks were just like you and me. These folks had backgrounds, stories, families, friends, uh, houses that they were trying to keep up, food that they were trying to put on the table. It's, it's easy to just read it as a story, but this was actual real people um, and, and details of their life. So let's see if we can picture ourselves in this just a little bit um, as part of the story in real time. So today our passage picks up in Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So let's look at this a little bit really quick. Jesus, by now he's the talk of every town. It says almost in every passage, and a large crowd gathered or a large crowd followed. Practically everywhere he goes, he is followed. People wanting to see him, hear him. They wanted something from him. Uh, Think about the large crowds you have been in in the past, you know, at a concert, at a sports event. Now imagine trying to get to someone super specific in that messy, messy crowd. Uh, I think the largest crowd I have ever been in was in New York City in Times Square on a New Year's Eve. I was 20 years old. Uh, My sister was 17. My younger brother was 15. And uh, we spent hours outside saving our spot to watch the, the famous ball drop at midnight, right? Well, as the time got closer and closer, it got more crowded and more crowded. During the day, we were able to sit and, you know, have a little space to ourselves. But at a certain point, there was only standing room. So it was getting more and more crowded. My parents actually uh, found a cozy little cafe to sit right near us. Um, And they kept just ordering things off the menu in order to spend hours and hours there. And the plan was that at midnight, they'd get up and come join us um, in our spot. Well, right around uh, when it got closer to midnight, right around the time they got up to go, they were actually told to stay put. They couldn't move for security reasons. And as that was happening simultaneously, my siblings and I got shifted up like four blocks and we had no choice. We had to move with the crowd. There was no choice in the matter. And this was actually before I think I even had a cell phone. So we couldn't call my parents and say, hey, we're being shifted up. Hey, this is where we are. We couldn't communicate with them. There was no choice. So uh, they couldn't get to us and we couldn't get to them. So at midnight, of course, the ball drops, and it was so fun to be to be there at um, at midnight and celebrate New York City style. But it wasn't until about 2 a.m. that we found my parents, and they found us. 
So again, imagine in this time, right? Jesus gets off the boat, the size of the crowd around him, and Jairus makes his way, makes his way, probably fought his way with all his might to get to Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus and fall to his feet and beg him. Now, Jairus, just to give you a little bit of the background, as it said, he was a synagogue leader, which meant he was probably a very well-respected man. He was probably well off. He was probably, you know, composed well. Um, He was a a man who had authority. But here he is falling at the feet of Jesus. And it says it begged him, he begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Well, Jairus at this point didn't care who saw him, right? He didn't care. He was begging at the feet of Jesus. He threw out, he didn't care. He threw out all the rituals, all perspectives. He didn't care. He threw out all concerns and quickly became a picture of desperation. So all his pride, all his caution, he is unconcerned about who sees him. All he is determined is about who he's getting to. So he fought his way to the crowd. Let's go back to the text. My little girl is dying. Verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Yes, thank God, Jairus must be thinking, Jesus is on his way, let's go. I can even picture Jairus, you know, with his hand maybe on Jesus' back, pushing him a little faster and faster. Um, they They didn't have a moment to lose. But while this story was taking place, we run into another story. On verse 25, it says, Now woman, suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. So let's stop for a second here again, because this story is just kind of introduced very matter of fact. We meet a woman here, but not just any woman, a sick woman. A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. I've tried and tried to put myself in the shoes of this woman, and I just can't. I just can't imagine. I just actually had surgery a few weeks ago, and I was so out of it for at least a week and a half. I felt terrible. I felt fatigued. I felt weak. You know, I was so out of energy. I still don't feel 100%, but I feel much better than those first few days. And what, I had to suffer maybe 12 days? This woman had to suffer 12 years. She had been suffering 12 years of feeling so much worse than I did. I am sure of it. 12 years. And it says not only did this woman experience physical pain, but she also endured treatments. She also endured much under the hands of many doctors, only to become worse. And if you look up ancient remedies, they weren't, you know, try these three pills, call me in the morning. Some ancient remedies involved terrible, terrible, super terrible things. I'm going to spare you the details on this, but this poor woman probably drank, ingested, you know, disgusting things and hours of perhaps even physical torture with the hope to get better. 
but all these treatments have been in vain. This is the woman that they meet right here. This is the woman. Um, again, imagine yourself with fatigue and weakness, that poor woman. And not only that, but in ancient days, if you were someone who had a physical ailment such as bleeding, you were considered to be unclean. You were considered to have some sort of shame in your past, your family's past. It must have been a sin that caused this bleeding on her part or a sin in her family's life. I bet so many times this woman overheard people saying about her, stay away from that woman. Stay away from her. She's unclean. Stay away from her. She's sinful. I bet she overheard people say so many things about her. She was banned, actually, from public places. She couldn't go to the marketplace. She couldn't go in the temple because not only was she considered unclean, but anything she touched or touched her was now considered unclean as well. She was probably a disgrace to her family, to her friends, a complete outcast. So just like Jairus, who was beyond desperate for his daughter, here's this woman beyond desperate to feel better. So she plans her daring move in verse 27. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in all her body that she was healed from her affliction. Instantly, instantly, she's healed here. The 12 years of torture, the 12 years of despair, the 12 years of fatigue, of weakness, of shame, of just terrible things, she is healed. But wait, again, who is this woman? Verse 30, immediately Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, again, put yourself in her shoes. Does she say something? Does she come forward? Should she slip back further into the crowd? What does she do right now? His disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing against you in verse 31, and yet you say, who touched me? Like I mentioned before, imagine the crowd in Times Square. Crowds and crowds of people are here, Jesus. You're asking who touched you. Literally, thousands of people are brushing up against you right now. But you want to know who's touched you? In verse 32, But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. She touched his clothes. He felt it. She was instantly healed, but she wants to fade away. And he stops. Jesus stops and calls her out. And not only does he call her out, but he calls her daughter. Daughter. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed. The text doesn't say this, but I imagine that Jesus may have even touched her shoulder in that moment or lifted her up by the hand. That's what I imagine in this scenario. He touched this unclean woman and he called her daughter. Daughter. She has been the daughter of death 
for 12 years. She has been the daughter of shame. She has been the daughter of sickness for years. This is all she knows. All she knows of these last years has been loss. She has had a loss of identity, a loss of control, a loss of of her place in society, a loss of her resources, loss of anything certain in her life. But Jesus stops and engages her and brings restoration to all of these things. Now, while this beautiful story is taking place, Jairus is there. Can you imagine what he is feeling right now? He's probably losing his mind. If I was the parent in this situation, I would have probably thrown Jesus over my shoulder and ran all the way home. I would have been losing my mind had I had to be interrupted, had I had to wait. But Jesus stops. Jesus engaged her. You know, uh, I don't. I don't know about you, but if you have ever been in a in a moment where you're just desperate about um, a child or someone you care about, your 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 mind is going a thousand miles a minute. I've told the story about how security was called on me at Kaiser once. You'll have to look that up on on the last you know years of sermons that I've done. I've told that story one time, but. You know, I'll I'll never forget when I was in grade school, I was in fourth grade and I was playing kickball and I slid into first base to, you know, get there safe. And I landed in all the wrong ways and I heard pop, pop, pop. And before you know it, I had cracked my, I had broken my ankle into three pieces. It was so much pain. I can still feel it now. Um, but I broke my ankle into three pieces. Now they called my dad, the school called my dad and told him, hey, listen, park and then make your way back here to the playground where Melody is and, and we'll get you to her. Well, next thing I know, the ambulance is pulling in onto the playground through the gate and who's right after him? My dad, he's pulling in right in after him into right, right onto the playground in order to get to me faster, in order to get to me faster. So picture the father through this process. All he wants to do is get to his daughter fast. And then this happens in verse 35. While he is still speaking, people came to the synagogue leader and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? She's gone. It's too late. Jairus must be must be just ready to scream at this point or fall over. Who knows all the emotions he's feeling right now? She's gone. But in verse 36, it says, When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid, only believe. Jesus is basically saying, Ignore that. I'm in control. Believe me. Let's go. So do you think Jairus is feeling at a loss right now? He's probably feeling on fast forward mode what this woman experienced for 12 years. He's probably experiencing in 12 seconds, 12 minutes. For a few brief minutes here, he's experiencing his loss, loss of control, loss of his identity, loss of being able to, uh, loss of his identity as a father. He's probably feeling loss of being able to do anything else but depend on the one who looked at him and said, believe, believe. 
So they get to Jairus' house in verse 37. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. In ancient times, again, they had different customs. When, when someone died, sometimes professional mourner, mourners would come in and they would cry and they would wail. They would sometimes strip off their clothes and even shave their heads so that they were, you know, they were mourning professionally what maybe we feel inside but can't express. They would do it on the outside. So uh, when Jesus got there, there was already these people there mourning this little girl. There was also a lot of rules and rituals around death. Uh, you weren't One specific rule was that you could not touch the dead person. But then Jesus walks in. In verse 39, he went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40, they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. Jesus kicks them right out. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the little girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were utterly astonished. What in the world just happened here? Was she, was she dead? Was she asleep? Well, yeah, she was gone. She was gone. But Jesus walks in and, and takes her and calls her up. Does Jesus offer a medical explanation or explain what he just did? No. No, he doesn't. Not to the father, not to the mother, not to anyone. Why? Because they don't get to know. They don't get to know. And in verse 36, I love what it's, uh, in verse 36, it said, don't, don't be afraid, only believe. That's all you have to do. Only believe. That's what he told Jairus. He doesn't get the explanation now. And I love this last verse. It says in verse 43, and then he gave them strict orders that no one else should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. As an ever loving parent, Jesus wants to make sure that we are okay. He wants to make sure that this little girl is nourished and taken care of. That's usually my first question to my kids as they, you know, as I walk home, as I walk them home, what'd you eat today? Or what was snack today? And, you know, what do you want for snack now? They usually want a cookie, but you know, here I hand them an apple. Sometimes I give them a cookie. But as a parent, you want to make sure they're nourished. And that's the end of this passage here. Jesus wants to make sure this little girl is taken care of. So we've imagined ourselves in this story today. We've imagined ourselves. Let's bring it to real time now. What do we do with this? Is this story about healing? Is this story about faith? Is this story about fear? Is this story about, well, it can be. It can be. But today, today, the story I want you to hear is the story of the life-giving, loving, surpassing all understanding power that we have, and the way we have this is through the thing we have in common with these two stories, which is Jesus. We have this in common with those two stories, 
Jesus. Now, what does that mean, Melody? What does that mean? What Can you explain this to me? Well, the one thing I will say to you right now is Jesus, the common factor, even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus, even when timing couldn't be worse. Jesus, even when circumstances are bleak. Jesus. I've said it over and over again in past sermons and and to people. We don't get to know the why. We don't get to know the why. We only get to know the how because it is laid out plain and simple for us. And what he said in verse 36, believe, believe. He called the woman daughter. He called the little girl with affection and took her by the hand and took care of her. By believing we have hope, by believing we can, we can begin somewhere, by believing we can live, by believing we can continue on, we can overcome despite any circumstances. Will there be trials? Yes, you better believe it. Why? I can't explain that to you. I can't explain it. Neither can the woman who suffered for 12 years. She can't explain to you why she suffered for 12 years. Neither can Jairus explain to you why he had to experience the death of his daughter. We don't get to know the why. Only the how, and the how is Jesus. This is one of the verses that I keep close to my heart all the time. Isaiah 43, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flame will not burn you. When, when, when. Never if, if, if. It's always when. Man, I've been through my shares of wins. Right? I'm sure you have too. There was never an if. It's always been a win. But Jesus was there with me. Here's here's the thing, though. Remember when Jesus was in the crowd and he asked who brushed up against him and his disciples laughed? Well, there's so many people here. How would you know, Jesus? But Jesus knew because of the way this woman postured herself before him. She postured herself before him. She went to him with a complete belief a complete belief that he was who he claimed to be. How many of us go to Jesus with that same posture? How many of us struggle with that? How many of us want to take control and want to manipulate things and want to control things? and want? How many of us really go to Jesus in that same posture? I know there's been so many times where I have often thought of myself as good enough, smart enough, talented enough, creative enough to proceed on my own through something. But guess what? I never was and I never will be. No. But once I changed my posture, once I changed my posture and relied on the power that supersedes all understanding, there is Jesus. And he's the one that carries me through. There's a song by Zach Williams and um, actually with Dolly Parton. And it, it's, a, it's a song that, that is titled, There Was Jesus. Listen to these lines. Every time I try to make it on my own, every time I try to stand but I would fall, there was Jesus. 
When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, there was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. Have you been in a situation where you've just been dragging across the floor in in perhaps fatigue in your own sickness or confusion in your own frustration and there was Jesus? Or is there something now in your life or in someone close to you's life where the fatigue, the frustration, the weakness, the sadness, the confusion is taking over and it feels like we're dragging through it. It feels like we're just dragging through it. It feels like there's no way out. But I promise you, there is Jesus. I'd like to share with you something very personal here. This is a uh, journal that I have um, been keeping and been making over the last few weeks. And this is a journal that um, actually kind of just chronicles the last uh, few weeks and days that my mom was here living and breathing on earth. And, um, you know, so many things happened so fast during that time and on fast forward mode and and it also happened over Christmas time, which, you know, I, I talk a lot about how the kids did with that here and changing my mom's whole room from, you know, a regular bedroom to a hospice room. Um, there's so much during that time. But what I have here on this particular page um, is a page that says my stronghold. It says, turn to God for help. It says, my safe refuge. It says, under his wings, you will find refuge. And um, on this side, I talk about how incredible that time is because I don't even remember how I did things during that time. I don't know how I had the physical strength to even move her from place to place. I don't know how I had the mental um, energy, the the energy it kept to, you know, be up all night, be up all day, administer medicine. I don't know how I did all that, but I do know how I did all that because of my stronghold in Jesus. And so here I just kind of say the only way I got through that was with Jesus. And in here, I'd like to share these verses with you. Uh, I I These are verses that I held on tightly to during that time, during that time where I was just dragging, but I had to keep going, but I knew who was helping me continue. Hebrews 1, 11, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 1 John 5, 4, for what is ever born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Psalm 16, 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body rests securely. Psalm 119, verse 147, I rise up before dawn and cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. Romans 15, 13, now 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I share that with you because this is a time that I know that God was the only one getting me through that. There's no way I could have had the peace that I had, the calm that I had, all the things I had just recently with my surgery. In in those days, oh my goodness, I felt like I was never going to be the same. I felt like there was just, recovery was so far off. I didn't have time to journal. I didn't have time to read a, I don't want to say I didn't have time. I had the time. I didn't have the energy for it let alone crack open my Bible. I couldn't read. I couldn't keep my eyes open. But when my eyes were closed, I would pray. I would pray and reach out to God in my own way. I would sing songs that I knew and reach out to God in that way too. In those moments, I needed to reach out to Him and grab onto Him any way I possibly could. Now, those are just a few details from my life, but you have a story. You have details, but we have this in common, my friends. Jesus is the Lord over all of our life's details. He is the details in our ins and our outs. He is the Lord over man, woman, child, demons, diseases, death. He is the Lord over all of those things. We have that in common together. Do you believe this? Do you believe this and posture yourself in this way that he says believe and we believe it? Like the woman in the crowd reaching out in a posture of believing that he was the only way. How many of us sometimes just brush alongside him like the rest of the crowd and just don't receive fully what he has to offer because we're too busy, we're too distracted, we just we just are going to try to figure it out our own way. How many of us just brush up aside against him instead of reaching out for him? Just like he stopped for the woman, he stops for you and me. But we have to engage him, not just slip back into the crowd. He is interested in us. He longs to restore us. He is never in a hurry. He is never distracted or disinterested in what is happening in our lives. He gives us his full attention. He calls us daughters and he calls us sons. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you're struggling with or do you think it's just too much? Guess what? He will cross that boundary to get to you. He crossed over major traditional and religious boundaries to get to these women. He engaged the unclean woman. He took the little dead girl by the hand. He crossed those boundaries. No matter how desperate or dirty or terrible you think your situation is, we are never out of his reach. We have to reach. His touch, his love, his restorative healing will come across anything, gender, race, sexual orientation, politics, whatever you think may set you aside. He will cross over that and say, no, you are my daughter, you are my son, and I love you. 
don't follow Jesus because you think it's something that you should do or because you're filling a seat or because it's a ritual. The Lord wants you and he wants him to reach. He wants you to reach out to him. He wants to engage you. Do you fully know and accept this? And maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe 100% you do. Is there someone around you who could possibly be feeling like an outcast? Someone who might be willing to show up but not really engaged? Not really knowing what this fully means? Are you willing to be interrupted the same way Jesus was interrupted for others as well? Because this applies to everybody. To everybody. You know how um, people will experience Jesus more often than not? Through you and through me. Through us. Through others. The kingdom of heaven is here and now through all of us. Every act of mercy, every act of kindness, every act of humility, of generosity, through engaging others with the same heart that Jesus engaged him, we are partners with him in building this kingdom where he says, you are my sons, you are my daughters. Wherever you are today, whether you're on a sunny mountaintop or a dark valley or Jesus wants to engage you and weave himself into your life. It's part of his plan. It's part of his plan. God honors all who go to him. God honors all who seek him. The Lord will cross all boundaries to get to you. I'd like to finish with this verse that I also keep very close at hand. And I hope that you can keep it very close at hand today as well. Romans 8:38 For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <music>